Hi, and welcome to Follow Baptist Church's weekly message podcast. My name's Luke Williams, and I'm the lead pastor, and we're thrilled to have you joining us. We hope the message today inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for His glory. Here's the message. All right, we're going to open our Bibles now. Uh, we're continuing our Summer in the Psalms series, and uh, we've got Lockie uh, sharing the word with us today. We're going to be looking at Psalm 136. Uh, so if you want to turn your Bibles to Psalm 136 so you can follow along, you can do that. Uh, you can look up at the screen, or if you want to get a Bible and you haven't got one on you, we have baskets of Bibles in the aisles uh, for you to grab and keep if you haven't got one at home. So Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To Him who alone does great wonders. His love endures forever. Who by His understanding made the heavens. His love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. His love endures forever. Who made the great lights. His love endures forever. The sun to govern the day, his love endures forever. The moon and the stars govern the night, his love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, his love endures forever. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, his love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, his love endures forever. And brought Israel through the midst of it. His love endures forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. His love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness. His love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings. His love endures forever. And killed mighty kings. His love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites. His love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan. His love endures forever. And gave their land as an inheritance, his love endures forever. An inheritance to his servant Israel, his love endures forever. He remembered us in our lowest state, his love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies, his love endures forever. He gives food to every creature, his love endures forever. Do the last one with me. Give thanks to the God of heaven, his love endures forever. Amen. Welcome, Lockie. Thank you, everybody. Good morning. We're continuing our summer series in the Psalms. I think uh, Hayden's looking very summery there. Um, thanks for reading the verse with us. I like words. Words are all right. They're kind of my thing. It was one of my only good subjects uh, in high school was English. I worked in journalism uh, in a previous life. and I'm now in sales, so I've always had the gift of the gab, uh, as they say. And I get to talk to you lovely people about God using words, which is pretty cool as well. Sometimes I play a game uh, in my head with sentences. If you're a words person, I'm sure you've played this game. You, you, you have a sentence that you play over and over in your head, or you even speak it out loud like a crazy person in the car like me, and you emphasise different words in the sentence, and it creates a completely new meaning of what that sentence could be. For example, the sentence, the words, I never said he stole my money. I never said he stole my money. There's seven words with seven different meanings. I never said he stole my money. I never said he stole my money. I never said 
he stole my money. I never said, he stole my money. I never said he stole my money. I never said he stole my money. I never said he stole my money. There's all these different ways you could twist that sentence just based on the emphasis on the syllables. <laughs> if you take today's psalm, there's that one line, his love endures forever. And I bet you Hayden's tried to work out a million ways to say it because he just had to say it 26 times. It's repeated over and over, which obviously means it's very important. But I thought about why the psalmist has this this little repetition in there at the end of every line of, of, of what he's saying as a call and response. It must be pretty important. So I thought, well, are there different meanings to it? So I gave this line uh, the good old emphasis test, uh, and I found that I really couldn't change the meaning. No matter what word I emphasised, it still had the same impact, the same meaning. Let's give it a try. His love endures forever. What is his? So he is God, the God. Like in the first commandment, I am the Lord, your God. You, have no, you shall have no other gods before me. He is wonderful, counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So if he is he, let's try love. His love endures forever. Or what does 1 John say? Let us love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, the psalm uh, was originally written in Hebrew, like most of it, most of the Old Testament, and the translation of love is the word hesed, which means loyal love, faithful love, or what you could call a covenant love. It's a love that lasts because it's based on an unbreakable commitment it's even more than the love of a husband for his wife or the love of a, of a mother for her children or a, a pet owner who just can't help but put up pictures of their cat or dog on social media every few hours. It's greater than that love even. God's love is eternal because his covenant is eternal. He cannot not love his people. So look at those two words individually and the meaning is unchanged. If he is so true and love is from him... I can't change the meaning of the first two, so let's go to the second two. What about endure? His love endures forever. What is his love enduring exactly? Why does it have to endure? I think of endurance as a test, as tough, as a struggle, as something you survive. I've got to be honest, I think a lot of the time that's us. God's steadfast love endures our fickleness. It persists through our unbelief. It remains, uh, it remains fixed firm and constant and continues to exist regardless of our feelings or regardless of our response to him, uh, regardless of our circumstances, his love endures. So his can't be changed. Love can't be changed. Endures his constant state. What's forever then? Well, forever is forever. In the same way that his love for us removes us from our transgressions as far as the east is from the west, so too is the reach of his love over time. It's always been there. It's always will be there. And that's the forever we're talking about, past, present, and future. There are different English words for love used in our various Bible translations of this text. The NIV says love endures. King James says mercy endures. His forgiveness for us is mercy. New English translation says loyal love. 
The New Living says faithful love. The good old message says his love never quits. His love endures forever. So his love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. That's the truth. You can't break it. I could give it a wrap right there, hey? Drop the mic. Amen. Grab an early lunch. What do you think? That'd be nice. But there's more to this psalm than just that underlying line. Those four words are critical. And I wanted to set the table with them because I do feel they form the foundation for the psalm. And then the rest of the chapter, the, the psalm, it provides context for the history of humanity, what God's done for us throughout. Uh, and the relevance for us today. So these four words, they can be a daily meditation for today, and I, and I think we should spend a few more minutes digging in just a bit deeper into why. Sound good? All right. Let's, let's just pray before we continue. Let's bow our heads and dedicate this time to the Lord. Dear Father, we thank you for the incredible gift of your word, your story recorded so that we can remember, so we can grow in faith, confident in what we hope for and assured in what we cannot see. We thank you for the Psalms, for this book of songs that remind us of the Torah, that tell us stories of history and help us look towards you as as our Messiah. Father, may your truth be spoken today and may your name be lifted in this place. Amen. So Psalm 136, there's a few different types of psalms uh, in this book, collection of 150. Psalm 136 is a prayer of praise. It contains no petitions, no complaints, no problems. Instead, it's a a list of moments where God worked in history, uh, each answered repeatedly by his love endures forever. This is my kind of psalm. Um, As uh, Hayden mentioned, we've been having these as one leadership nights uh, recently, and, and, and our last one, we learnt about the nine Enneagram personality types, that may, uh, which, which may bore you, but I found it pretty exciting, and a lot of people there um, gain some wisdom and richness, richness from it. So this Enneagram principle gives you a number. So I'm a number seven. So if this describes you, then you're a number seven as well with me. Naturally cheerful and good-humoured, not taking themselves too seriously, or anything else for that matter... Their basic desire is to be happy and fulfilled, and when they are balanced within themselves, their joy and enthusiasm for life naturally affect everyone around them. They remind us of the pure pleasure of existence, the greatest gift of all. Sevens obviously have a pretty big ego too, after reading that. But that's why I like this psalm. I'm always a glass half full guy, um, and and, and this is my kind of psalm. This is why I chose it for today. So there's a basic structure of the psalm. It starts with a call to praise. And then there's reasons for the praise, and then there's conclusions for the praise. And the call to praise, it's a reminder of who God is. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of all gods. Give thanks to the Lord of all lords. We're surrounded by so-called gods uh, that we're tempted to worship. Our belongings, our things, our status on social media, our achievements, our sporting heroes, our TV show heroes... Even our close friends and family members uh, can become like gods to us, worshipped over God and put on pedestals. And I want us to think about the meaning of, of these two things, if, that, that God is truly the supreme being of the universe. 
God is truly the supreme being of the universe. Isaiah 40, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends and the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Truly the supreme being of the universe. And the second point is that he is good in what he does. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So in our psalm, in verses 5 to 9, we're reminded of the supremacy with an account of creation. So it starts uh, in verse 5, parallels the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. In verse 6, Genesis 1-2, with God's spirit hovering over the waters. 7 to 9, uh, closely follows Genesis 1-14 to 18, which is the creation of light, the, the sun, the moon and the stars, the separation of night and day. It wouldn't be a, a psalm sermon uh, without the wisdom from your old friend Charles Spurgeon on him being good. He is good beyond all others, indeed. He alone is good in the highest sense. He is the source of good, the good of all good, the sustainer of good, the perfecter of good, the rewarder of good. For this he deserves the constant gratitude of his people. It's impossible to overestimate the value of those two truths that he is supreme and he is good. Because, number one, if God wasn't supreme, we wouldn't worship him. We wouldn't be here. He is the one true God. If God wasn't good, we wouldn't be able to trust him. And what's that saying? If I follow Jesus and I'm wrong about God, then I've wasted my life. But if you ignore Jesus and you're wrong about God, then you've wasted your eternity. Because he is both good and the ultimate Lord, we not only trust him, but we're also called to bow down before him in praise and worship. The middle of this psalm is chock full of reasons for that praise. So verses 10 to 15 recall all the amazing miracles where God freed his people from Egyptian bondage to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm to him who divided the Red Sea, brought Israel through the midst of it and swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. God had no trouble defeating his enemies. He also had no trouble parting the Red Sea. But he only asks that his people acknowledge that he did it and not them. Do we do that? Do we give God the credit? Do we only seek him when things are bad and as soon as he intervenes in his mercy and saves us from these situations and perform these miracles, then do we exclaim, we did it, we made it, we're okay. And do we just move on? Or do we give praise and thanks to God? Do we stop and thank him? You know, I, I love my mother. I have the utmost respect and admiration for my mum. She's a wise, theological, spiritual, obedient woman of God. But growing up as a kid, the, most, the, the, the biggest memory I, I, I have of her praying out loud was when we're in a busy Westfield car park and she's trying to get close to the entrance. Who's prayed for a car park in the last little while? We all do. Please, Lord, please, Lord, right next to the door. And we get the car park, but I don't recall any songs of praise to God once we got there. It's like, okay, mission accomplished. We got the car park. Let's get in and out. We should praise the Lord, not only that we're delivered, but that our enemies are scattered, confounded, and utterly defeated, because his love endures forever. 
give him the credit. Verse 16, it's all about those 40 years of Jewish exile to him who led his people through the wilderness. And so many things happened in in that period. You had the manna and the quail, the water from the rock, uh, the talking donkey, Moses on Mount Sinai, golden calf, 12 spies, bitter water, bleached bones in the desert, complaining. And Moses, he just copped challenge after challenge for his leadership. And through it all, God did lead his people to the promised land. Following Jesus these days is hard. Australia's identity as a Christian nation is ancient history. We're allowed to exist as Christians only as long as we agree with everything that our current cultural climate is doing or believing, right? We have it so much better than a lot of countries with regards to our religious practices and freedoms. We should not take that for granted. Claiming Jesus today won't land us in jail. It won't cost us our lives necessarily, but we are in a minority in Australia, aren't we? Sort of in exile. Um, recently in the, the Bible in one year we're going through, uh, Matthew 7, uh, Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount uh, that for sure it's not going to be easy. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few find it. But God led his people through the wilderness. That's the key word here. It's not around, you can't go over it, can't go under it. You've got to go through it. You've got to go through this wilderness. To get to the promised land, they had to go through the desert. And not just dust and heat and rocks. The wilderness, it represents hardship. And so it will be for us. God leads us, his children, along to heaven. But we have no easy road as we make our journey. Even here at Follow, our theme last year as a church, remember what it was? Change for growth. I heard it somewhere. Change for growth. And last year we did a lot of changing. And you might have seen last year as a big year of change in your own personal life. And it might not have all been good stuff. But there are many detours, many switchbacks, many delays, and more than a few dead ends. Seeming dead ends. But God works in and through it. uh, In all of it. So that we will finally arrive because his love endures forever. Verse 16 to 22 gets a bit interesting where it's talking about when God struck down mighty kings. If you ever worried, uh, wondered about the background of these verses, you can find the story of Sion and Og in Numbers 21. Super quick summary. Israel were looking to get free passage through the land of the Amorites and the king refused the Israelites. He said no and he attacked them and that was the wrong move. Uh, they lost, and Israel ended up occupying all the cities of the Amorites. And as they marched up the road, the Og, king of Bashan, he came out with his army to do battle, to stick up for his friends, and they got him too. And this led to Canaan being given to Israel as heritage, the promised land of milk and honey. Great kings. They were great kings, really great. I'm not going to get political today. I don't like getting political, but what good was their fame? As they opposed God, they became infamous rather than famous. And you look at the whole story of the Bible, um, going to get really deep theological now. 
um, there's really one or two things that's going to happen in, uh, if you're a character in the Bible. You follow God and some things happen. You go against God and you die. I mean, that's pretty much how I read it. Verse 23, though, we get a jolt into the present. Sharp transition from God's great wonders of the past to his faithful help in the present. It's good for us to look at the past for evidence that his mercy endures forever, but even better to see the evidence in our own day. He remembered us in our lowly state. He redeems us from our enemies. And this is twofold. He will not forsake us, and he will redeem us. There are hundreds of tragic stories coming from across the country uh, after a shocking few months we've had with these fires. And the Bible tells us to weep with those who weep, but also to rejoice with those who rejoice. And a family friend of ours named Kurt, he writes a Christian culture blog. You may have come across it. Uh, And his article this week was simply sharing stories about God's miraculous protection and deliverance from some awful situations in these fires. I'll probably uh, share a link to the Facebook page this afternoon, but I did want to share a couple of stories today. So Andrew uh, and his family of four, and it was extended family, were camping on the banks of Lake Conjula on New Year's Eve, and they'd been told of fires that were about 100 kilometres away. They'd reassured themselves that the winds were going to change long before the fires got anywhere near them. So 11.59 a.m., New Year's Eve, they were shocked to see the glow of the flames on the hilltops nearby. And it only took minutes from there for the group to be surrounded by fire on all sides. At that moment, uh, Andrew said that a boat pulled in front of them and a man was yelling at them. So they're on the lake. A man was yelling at them, run to the jetty, run to the jetty. So they ran to the jetty and jumped on the boat and took off. Escaping across the lake with just the clothes on their back, they turned around and at 12.09, so 10 minutes later, they they turned around and saw their cars and caravans just blowing up, bursting into flames. Brett, the man who rescued them, had fled by boat with his dad, having just watched his own house burn down minutes earlier. The timing for that rescue, that's not an accident. That's not an accident. God has orchestrated that. And Hazel... Now, another story for you. Hazel's daughter owns a property on a knoll amongst a scrub near Kangaroo Valley in New South Wales' Shoalhaven region. Her daughter had been building a new home and the project had stalled in the summer due to the threat of the fires. Last few months, they couldn't do any work on it, so it was just a timber frame. And when the threat turned red-hot reality on January 4 this year for them, Hazel's daughter among her young family fled to save their lives, leaving everything to the mercy of the flames. Unable to even set a sprinkler for for protection, they expected to return to an ash heap. The same time as this, Hazel explains, a a local church had gathered to pray for everyone in the region. A friend of Hazel's daughter received a vision of angels dressed as firefighters spraying water in the shape of a large dome to protect her uh, half-finished house. Because of its remote location, the RFS, they couldn't get anywhere near um, this property to defend it on the ground or even in the air. Days later, the firefighters were able to come back um, and access the house, and it took 10 hours to hack through the fallen trees and all day. And what they discovered was 
ash-covered soil still too hot to stand on. It was like being on the rim of of a volcano, one of the volunteers said, and burnt-out trees all around, some still glowing white. It was a hot place. But the house, with its timber frame roof, was not even singed. The plastic tank was still intact, and a local who helped the fireys at the property described an unexplained protected zone all around the house. There's no natural explanation for these events. Praise God. But Hazel and her daughter, they give God the credit. And that's what we have to do. We have to give him the credit and be thankful because his love endures forever. I think that should be our response to this whole psalm, thankfulness. It's how the the psalm starts, give thanks to the Lord, and it's how it ends. The last verse, 26, repeats the theme of verse 1, give thanks to the God of heaven. Last week we looked at Psalm 100 with Pastor Luke, and verse 4 of that psalm says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Thank you. They're two of the most important words you can say. They're the language of a holy and healthy soul. They bless God, they bless others, and they bless you, I guarantee it. I think one of the most disarming words we can use is sorry, hand up, I messed up, I wish I'd done better, I wish things were different, I feel for your situation, I'm responsible. But there's so much power in a thank you as well. Do you ever hear people say, oh, I cannot thank you enough? Well, I think then and there they did, didn't they? By saying that, by expressing that. Or have you ever been in a situation where you can't, you need to be silent and you've just mouthed the words? It's like everyone can lip read thank you. It's powerful stuff. You ever let someone in through traffic because they're clueless on the basic rules of merging? And then, (laughs) I hope you have, because I'm pretty clueless. A few seconds down the road, you see their hand out the window. That's a sort of sorry, thank you, mega combo, right? And then the road rage just melts away, doesn't it, in his mercy? I'm sure it does. But just give thanks to the Lord. And you know what I found fascinating this week when I'm thinking about gratitude and thanks? Jesus didn't get a lot of thanks, and that staggers me. We're going through Matthew in the Bible in one year at the moment, and we've been reading last week about a lot of healing, a lot of miracles. Of the thousands of people that Jesus ministered to, there aren't many instances of people thanking him. The Samaritan leper was one of ten who were healed to come back and thank him. So only one out of the ten. That's in Luke 17, 11. And Simon, uh, at the Simon the Pharisee's party, there was a prostitute there. She was the only one to show appreciation uh, of Jesus for the forgiveness that he had shown her. That was in Luke 7, 36. Even Jesus' own disciples, they really didn't seem to know how to show gratitude until after he rose from the dead. Indeed, most people who benefited from Jesus' wise teaching and wonderful miracles, they walked away without thanking him. They were amazed by Jesus, and maybe in their excitement they praised God or told other people, which is pretty good, but they didn't go back to Jesus and thank him personally. Jesus' disciples, they were slow to develop attitudes of gratitude, but they certainly did become grateful, and, and now we can, we can follow along with the Acts of the Apostles and the epistles written by John and Peter and James and Paul. They all overflow with generous expressions of thanks to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and their thankfulness 
to God spills out into their appreciation for one another and the people they ministered to. What helps us to be truly grateful for the journey God's taken us on and for his love that endures forever is just to repeat this over and over. It's so obvious because that one line is repeated so often in this psalm. Just think of something in your life that's happened and add those four words at the end. It could be anything. When you're in between jobs and you didn't suffer financially, his love endured forever. When your little one was sick but slept through the night, his love endures forever. When you arrive safely home from driving in heavy rains, his love endures forever. When you push through a patch of depression, when you mourn the loss of a loved one, when you beat cancer, when you get a job promotion, when someone offers you a coffee, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. I'm going to close now, guys, the summer series. It's short and sweet. God's love won't quit. It won't fail. It won't abandon you. Be confident of this. He who that he he who that he who began I'll start again. He who began a good work in you will carry it on into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 1 6. God's love has underlined everything. It's underlined our past, it's underlined our present, and it underlines our future. And what's our part to play? Well, we don't have to write a sign agreement that I'll never mess up, I'll walk a perfect line, I'll never fail you. That's impossible to do. It's impossible to keep. But we do write an agreement with our heart, with our soul and our mind to accept his offer of love, of grace, of forgiveness and commit to live for him. Jesus' love, Jesus' death paid for everything. I used to think and sometimes I still hear people say, I'm afraid to ask God to forgive me. He'll say, no, I've sinned away all my grace credits. And that's shame. It's a shame, but that's shame. He's not only taken away your sin, but he's taken away your shame, your guilt for that sin. That's gone. As long as you have breath to cry out to Jesus, he's ready to forgive no matter what you've done. But if that's too hard, a great place to start is just simply thank him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God can't love you any more or any less than he already does. His love endures forever. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we love you because you are supreme. We love you because you are good and we thank you for your mercy. You are with us now and you will always be there. And through the cross, you've made a way for us to be in relationship with you. Help us to be truly grateful for your sacrifice, for the gift of your son Jesus and the, the gift of everlasting life. Praise you that your love endures forever. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our weekly message. If you're in the southeast area of Melbourne, we'd love for you to join us at our Sunday morning service. All the details can be found on our website at follow.church or you can find us on social media at follow Baptist Church.